episode number 18, The Reverend Victoria Burdick, Storytelling in Ceremony, in particular, Storytelling in Weddings. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales. They are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Art of Storytelling with Children. I'm Brother Wolf, and you are here again in the right place, the place where stories matter, the place where we examine every which way possible of how storytelling can be used effectively with kids and in your life. Today I have on the line my good friend, Victoria Burdick, who I have known for many years and I have admired for many years as an individual who is effective at creating ceremony and at using storytelling in ceremony. Um, I first saw her work her magic when we, when I was but a wee child <laughs> um, in a group setting. And at the time, I didn't even recognize what she was doing as storytelling. Um, but then later, I began to see how uh, Victoria seemed to have a sense of ceremony and how ceremony proceeded and when was a good time to talk and use story and when was a good time to do other activities in ceremony. Uh, and as time went on, I began to understand that um, sometimes the most important parts of a ceremony are the quiet parts, the silent parts. And so I wanted to bring her on the program today because I think sometimes the national movement of storytellers, we have a tendency to think that we have to fill every space with our talking, and that we also sometimes don't recognize how, as performers, we're involved in ceremony just about all the time. And... Uh, and I also was talking to, to Victoria last week, and I realized in talking to her that she was doing, she was practicing storytelling in one of the most sacred ways possible, and that is um, in weddings and in marriages and also in hospice. Um, though, I, though today I'd like to talk more about the weddings side of it because I think it deals more with more of the people who will be listening to this podcast. Though I know some of you who are in the Healing Story Alliance um, may want to hear more about the hospice portion, and we'll get to it on on the, on the show today. Um, but in in weddings, in particular, um, there is a place for story. I know that in my wedding, um, stories were not really in the ceremony, but after the ceremony, uh, when all we had, there's this tradition where you stand up and you talk about the groom or the bride. And at my wedding, um, one of the most memorable parts of the entire thing was. All of these people, because most of my friends were from out of state, so uh, my 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 wife's uh, my bride's family um, didn't really know me at all, and so at the wedding, all these people who knew me got up and told stories about me, and it was it was part of the ceremony in a sense. It was a continuation of the ceremony, in which through story, all the people participating began to to value. Um, this new in-law, you know, this strange guy, he says, he's a storyteller, what the heck is that anyway? So t- 
tell us about how you got involved in using ceremony and talk about that process you went through um, in terms of the cancer and what happened to you. Well, uh, I had made a meager livelihood as a lay midwife and doing doula service with childbirth and was diagnosed with a cancer. I was a single parent of two young girls, and uh, when I got diagnosed, um, things shifted rather quickly. I was at Dana-Farber in Boston, and the next thing I knew, I was sitting with people going through uh, lots of labor with their treatments and eventually going through death and dying process, which was, to me, the same as birth. And uh, it, in fact, even more so, uh, more moments. And uh, in that, I found I was very natural and adept at, at attending those moments. And the institution said, "We need to get you on board." And how can we do this? And you can go for your MSW and be a social worker. And gave me several options. And someone said, "Well, how about chaplaincy?" And when I heard that, I said, "Yeah, that's it." And uh, being a um, very generic spiritual person uh, without a particular doctrine or dogma, uh, it was a daunting task for me to look down the road at actually getting a divinity degree and being ordained and into what I didn't know. And um, the process of divinity work is something that I, w- I was clueless about. I ended up, because of my illness, and fortunately uh, because of uh, a, a modicum amount of compassion, they hosted me with a fellowship for independent study, and I was able to get on board with a Catholic university and a Protestant university and have this bridge fellowship being um, mentored by uh, having a master's coach on either side and being mentored by either university with a individual that guided me through my work. And I wrote a book about uh, healing my cancer through paddling my kayak, and I earned my Master's of Divinity through that and was ordained into the largest sect of military chaplains, which ended up ironically being the most liberal because when you're out on the battlefield, uh, you're, uh, you have to serve whatever soul, you know, the flavor of anyone, and uh, we're all delicious. <laughs> so that's what I got ordained into. So there I am in a nutshell. <laughs> and. How did you get into the wedding, the business? How did you get into doing weddings? I mean, just quite by accident, really. It, it, um, friends who knew me uh, and knew that uh, you know I was always participating in ceremony of one kind or another, and and um, whether it was singing at weddings or or doing African dance at uh, other rituals and ceremonies in the uni- uh, the Unitarian Church or. Um, you know, doing things in my old Baptist church and and uh, participating, and and one thing led to another, and someone said, "Vic, you'd be great doing a a wedding. Would you do mine?" And and it totally by word of mouth, that's what happened. But my my true work, my my devotion, is uh, definitely being a hospice chaplain, and sitting bedside is where my church is. But I do many many weddings, and I do as many weddings as I I can possibly handle. And I do them quite differently than um, the conventional way. The weddings are not um, you know, have a format and, and take the blank and, and put the character's name in them. I uh, sit down, I get their stories, I ask them why. And ultimately, in any ceremony, no matter what I do, whether it's a wedding or a baby blessing or a funeral or a memorial, um, the 
my mission and my goal in any ceremony is to see that love is a choice and ever present that that uh we unlike any character or being on this planet have the free will to choose consciously choose love and manifest from there as far as i know there may be other beings in besides us humans that um do that but i'm not aware of that that's really good I want to break that down a little bit. <laughs> you just you just skipped over some huge concepts there going along. <laughs> I mean, some really important stuff. Um, so let's go back into, for example, manifesting love, you know. <laughs> mm. I mean, I know people who spend their whole life and never get to do it. Um, people so, wait for love to happen to them. Yeah. And so um, let's talk about that a little bit. Or let's talk about um, bringing their stories together. Now, there's a statement right there. I mean, we could spend the whole show just on that part right there. Um, I, I can give you, I can give you um, an example. Yeah. Uh, every couple feels like they're lucky and blessed to have found each other. They're very in love by the time they come up to this threshold of an altar, whether they've been living together for a long time or they're, they're you know, new sweethearts and you know now feel like they're secure enough to become family together. But the most important thing um, for me is to go back and find out. Where did they resist this choice? Where did this all start? And my very first question to them is always, when is the first time you actually took, not not talk to each other, not introduced to yourselves to each other, but the very first moment you saw this person. And I did a wedding this weekend. This is great. And and she uh, she said there was this obnoxious voice in the other side of my dorm room on the other side of the door that laughed all night and I just wanted to kill him. That she's speaking of her, her beloved. And and then um the next the next thing was she saw him ride his runt bike down the stairs and she said, What the hell is that guy doing? <laughs> and little did she know that eventually she would become his wife. And they, you know, they inevitably met. He had a, he saw her. She was a daunting beauty. She was too good for him. He resisted. You know, they went to the beach for a walk and broke away from the pack. And and he didn't kiss her. And it was a beautiful starry night and absolutely perfect. He brought her back to heal that place of himself when he proposed to her, and brought her back to that beautiful beach where he he missed that opportunity to kiss her and felt so grateful that nonetheless she is still with him. But it's always a choice. And eventually they did choose to, uh, you know, speak more and touch and, you know, become lovers and, and get to that place. When a couple is capable of doing that, there's a greater story in the living roots of their family trees. So I seek out elders who is the oldest people present? Do you have grandparents that are alive that will be attending? Yes, we do. Uh, they, they had grandparents who've been married 67 years. And Pop-Pop and Nani were married 67 years ago, and he just turned 90, and they celebrated their 15th grandchild. Now, there's some unshakable roots in that tree that gave somewhere fed the consciousness of these two beings to know that becoming family is a wonderful sample. Even though they're immediate parents, one is very solid and together, and the other is is split. 
But in there is another story because that split family all shows up and sits there in the front row together. There's an unconditional love. There's an unconditional love of extended family tree that becomes a very significant part of that couple's story. And I honor both sides for longstanding relationships and the beauty of still choosing love to show up in that unconditional place with your ex-partner and your new partner and their ex-partner and their new partner. And how wonderful that they can attend this moment for their family becoming yet again stronger and healing and still be leaving. That's really good. And in using the storytelling, you're doing most of the listening here. You're the one prompting the story. I, I, I warn them fairly ahead of time. Uh, we usually meet in a restaurant because it's an objective place and uh, I can't get distracted and they can't get distracted other than the normal things around us. And um, what I do is I say there, there's a couple of rules here. Um, one is you're going to show up to this meeting with your ceremony already written on your hearts. My job is to pull the threads, go home, card and spin and weave and make the tapestry of what this ceremony is going to be. But the ceremony in itself has to be a living truth of love. And that I cannot write that living truth without finding out what it is because it's their truth, not mine. So you're actually weaving their stories into the ceremony? You're actually talking about their stories in the ceremony? Oh, I, I, I start from the very first time that you don't even know you're lining a domino up for the, the dominoes that fall in your story to the altar, quote-unquote. <laughs> um, you don't even know you're setting those dominoes up, but I go back and find out what is. What was that first look? What made you notice this person? It was his obnoxious laughter. It was him riding the runt bike down. It was her daunting beauty that made him speechless. He couldn't even talk to her. It's, it's those things that you don't even recognize and you're starting to line dominoes up that fall towards this altar. It's beautiful. And I have to pick those threads. I say I go for the navel lint, you know, I go for all the fuzz. I want to go, I want to find the, and I nitpick and nitpick and nitpick. And when I'm asking them questions, it's, sometimes it's even a little frustrating for them, but I say, wait, 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 don't go ahead. They want to jump ahead to when all the good parts happen and the big parts happen and, you know, the proposal and all that. Now, I want to go way before that. Did you ask this, this woman's parents, did you state your intentions to them? Did you ask for her hand? Did, it, was there some sense of... Um, do, do you have a respect for that family tree that led you to the parents saying, I want to become part of your family. Here is, these are my intentions to weave my roots into yours with your daughter. And if they haven't and they, and they hear those words, they go back because they weren't conscious of, of that uh, concept. They go back to the parents later and say, prior to the ceremony, which is really beautiful, prior to the wedding, and say, you know, I learned something about myself that I really deeply care about being part of your family, and I know I didn't ask, um, I didn't ask for your daughter's hand, or which I don't really believe in, but uh, didn't state my intentions with her to become part of your family and ask for your blessings. Um, and, they, and they say, but I, I, I truly know that that's meaningful to me now. 
and I would ask for them a, a day late and a dollar short, but here I am. May I have your blessings? And they do, and it's great. And parents cry because they were, without even acknowledging it, were sadly disappointed deep inside themselves that um, this thing of you know having their family grow stronger with someone else coming into it. Because we don't give a, there's another thing when, am I talking too fast? No, you're great. Keep okay. going. When, when it gets, when a, um, back to the asking, you know, stating intentions, when the uh, bride gets to the end of the aisle, not to the altar, what I do is I have the groom and I walk forward and meet her there. And the the father will place the daughter's hand into his. And then I have each parent put one hand in, even from extended families, if there's good relationship there. And I put my hands over all of them, so we're stacked like like an athletic stack. And uh, I say we do not give away our children. We give forward of our love through our children. And they created a beautiful thing that believed in family and they can rest assured deep in their souls that their trees are honored and strong and growing stronger all the time. May it bear fruit and, you know, just thrive. And they always feel the sense of, oh, my God, I am not giving them away. I am, I def- this is a better thing. This is a bigger thing. And it's a very emotional moment. It takes two seconds. And and I say to them, may all the love that you've given to your children over a lifetime come back to you a thousandfold with many happy years as a stronger family ahead and lots of grandchildren. And then everybody cracks up, and that helps break the ice. (laughs) And then I go, and then we break, and we just all, we all break and everybody giggles. And then I step back to the altar, and I will not, I will not let a bride be delivered to the altar. I I step back, ask them for a moment, and then the two come as equals to that altar. They arrive as mutuals, side by side, free of their parents, honoring them deeply. That's a nice way to start. When you're talking in the ceremony, you talk about the stories they've told you. I have to. Because I, I have I go through the chronology of their love. How did they pick love? What inside of them resisted this love? What inside that being did not want to talk to that guy? Or she was too beautiful for me. Uh, you know, she was beyond. She was. She, I, 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 she was way above me. Her, you know, I wasn't even in her league. Those kind of things that make that. Um, silliness disappear, and what what love insists on itself. So love gets get, love is is starting to ignite, and it makes it pushes against their hearts. Us as individuals, love will push against our heart, and it will. It's creation. It's moving forward. That's what God is. It pushes us forward. We have to go forward. We have to create. We are cre. We are creator. We are the creator. And what inside of them did they have to overcome, step beyond? Where was the envelope painfully pushed where they had to choose and launch into something new? And if everything that happens in creation, it's like labor before delivery. It's like the agony before the, uh, the final piece of death. 
it's that beautiful fission before fusion and the manifestation of something incredible. And love does that always. And it, in our limited, meager human ways, it happens every day in different ways. What makes us not turn around and smack the kid because we were smacked? We turn around and we, we chill ourselves somewhere inside and say, there's a reasonable way to deal with this. How can I teach this child? Rather than how can, and where do I, rather than react, where can I be proactive and make this, you know, behavior or make this event better? Where in our own beings do we make ourselves better? Choose love instead of our fear. Because if they chose their fear, he never would have talked to her. She would have killed him because <laughs> he was noisy in the other room. Not really, but, you know, it, it's, it, we can always limit ourselves. Love is always present for It doesn't happen to us. It's there. It's not an event that happens to us. We can be moved by events and, and find love in it. But love is ever-present always, always, always. I'm sitting alone in this incredibly huge house, and I can sit here and say, I'm so alone, and I'm house-sitting for this friend, and I wished I didn't do this, and here I am in this strange... Or I can sit here and go, wow, what an expression of someone's living. The way she puts the nuts in the canister there, or that beautiful lamp over there, and the, and the carving on the, the shelf, and on and on and on. Love is always there. We can go there or not go there. Or like our dear friend Medicine Story says... There's only two choices ever to make in our lives. We can choose love or we can choose fear. We have the consciousness to do that. When it comes to a ceremony, it's love that was chosen. Love pulled every spoke of the wheel in their lives to that moment. People got up, they got dressed, they you know, they took their shower, they put on their nice studs and they brought their present and they sat down in, in the aisle and they're watching. And what do they want to see? They don't want to hear, dearly beloved, we're gathered here on the side of this marriage for you. Know, that's crap. What they want to hear is back in 2000 when gasoline was $1.73 a gallon and we were stunned at the incredible price of that. These two decided to make the New York, New Jersey commute a part of their lives so that they can continue their relationship. Wow. You know, people pay attention. Oh, that was my story, too, $1.73. That's part of my story, too. I remember when that gas cost that much, and I still did things, too. Oh, yeah, I have this. Why, you know, I haven't really talked to my wife, like, very nice in a while. Or, geez, you know, I, I really hadn't thought of my kids as, like, the fruit on my family tree. And I better give my grandparents a call and let them know that, you know, I really appreciate where they came from. And I have no idea what... Pepe and Meme did in their ceremony, and I don't even know where they got married or how long they've been. I, bet, I better ask them, how long have they been married? It ignites within us our stories, because that's all we are. We are our stories. We're experience. We're God's eye having experience. We're having experience all the time. How do we take that experience and turn our lives to reverence and love and beauty and creation and going forward, or do we duck away and have? Well, we can we we can experience fear and go the other way. I mean, we can we can erode our lives and stay in one place and not go forward. We can go backwards and hold on to the things that we don't want to let go of. 
or we can go forward. And these these beautiful people who choose to marry and even better yet, remarry and even better yet, remarry twice, two times more. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. What made you choose this? Children in ceremony are fantastic. When there's families that are merged, at the end, just like a giveaway in, in when the bride in, is with her parents, we can go to, at the end of the ceremony, never want the children feeling like they're getting married because they need, they need a solid, unified front as adults to watch over them. They need care. They never are part of the um, integral part of the ceremony. I don't bring them into vows. I don't present presents to them unless after the vows are said and the rings are, are done and the consecration of that marriage has happened, then they can do something like that. But in the end, what I do do is I stack their hands and I take the mom and dad with their beautiful brandy new rings on and they put their hands in the center and each kid puts a hand in and I put my hands over there and I say, this is a family you can count on. This is a family that's going to be there for you. And I look right at them in their eyeballs and I say, even in your face, especially when you don't want them to be. (laughs) And they're like, ooh. I said, this is a family who loves you, but more than anything else, this family is counting on your love. Your love is so important in this family. Your choice to bring your love to this beautiful family is going to be wonderful, and we're counting on you. And that family needs your love because your love is unlike any other. And they love the, the kids love that. They come alive. They go, yes, I'm valid. Yes, I count. Yes, this is a secure thing. Yes, this is something that's here for me, but it needs me to. It needs me. It has to have me. I'm necessary. Wow. It feels like you're talking about stories in life. Oh, and you're talking about how storytelling is really useful by everyday people, and that storytelling is an inherent fixture or can be an inherent fixture in regular cultural events. Always. And I think that as a movement, the storytelling movement, we we don't well, we we do a lot of entertainment storytelling. And that's good, you know. But then sometimes maybe because we're performing a lot and we're we sometimes forget that 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 these stories they come out of a purpose they're serving or 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 we just we lose that that connection of the story sort of wanders away from its place a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And and you're telling the stories in their place and stories that really matter in that place. Yes. That's pretty amazing. And our stories do matter very much. They they ex- they matter ex- they they're extremely important. They are who we we are our stories. We are our stories. Our stories are the proof of us. And it, our stories are full of goodness. 
our stories are definitely full of love. And we would not move forward in our life if we didn't choose love. And there's always a way to prove it. And not one is like the other. There is not one story like the other. When we get to the authentic story of human life, there is not one like the other. Take take me and my two brothers, and the three of us will have a whole different story of how we grew up. Some of the sets were the same, but it was a whole different story for each of us. Because our stories are our experience. Our experience is our life. That is our, we are it. We are it. We are the lens on, we're, we're, all of us are a kaleidoscope. Each of us. Storytelling with children. <laughs> Storytelling with children. Storytelling with children. I want to I want to go back yes. to actually telling ceremony telling stories in ceremony. Mm-hmm. I want to just go back to that because for some people, you know, like I get it, and I think I think it's pretty obvious to me some of the unconscious assumptions that I make when I'm in ceremony and I'm telling a story. Um, in terms of how that story serves the circle, in terms of like um, how I say the stories in a way that everybody can hear them. Um, in terms of how I, uh, I mean, you're you're actually doing a whole different level than what I do. Usually, I'm telling a story that's pretty set, but I'm picking one of 200 and I'm finding the one that kind of fits in that particular circle and putting it in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm shoehorning in it. Sometimes I'm, it fits nicely. Um, but you're actually taking other people's stories and bringing them uh, in front, so mm-hmm. to speak, and you're serving sort of as a facilitator, the storytelling facilitator. Of, of the ceremony. And so I guess the question that arises for me is, how do you, what is the edge for you? Because they must tell some stories that don't belong. I mean, you must hear some story from the in-law. You think, well, that's nice, but it doesn't really fit here. Or it might be a distraction. Well, I, I think as, uh, uh, yeah, as as the experience goes on, um my my I call it my boot top on a boat. That's the that's the um, that's the the beautiful buoyant center of a vessel. My what keeps me um, my meter, my gauge of where I go uh, with a story is one. I will never offend an elder. Two. How do I prove love in this story? Where where are where is the evidence? It's not how I prove it, but where is the evidence of love? How so you have this purpose that binds you in the story. Yes, this purpose that drives you forward. Yes, and I've talked to my listeners many times about this concept of of having a purpose that drives your story, and it, it makes your storytelling so much more solvent. Is yes. the word? It's just real and it has integrity. Um, but go on, talk about this concept of how. Well, they, there's tricky parts too, because, for example, um, in in a recent wedding, the mother was highly embarrassed that these people li- actually anybody to know that this daughter was actually in the same household with this man before the wedding, and they, you know, they built this house and they've been living there for almost a year now, and and she didn't want them to know that. So what I did is. Um, you know, I, I said that, you know, the, the house was being built and the ring was being built and all of their life was under construction. And 
And then I just skipped over the part that they merged households. In a lot of stories, I, that merging of households is a very significant moment, but it has to be respectful and comfortable to those around it. So that's one thing. Another thing is the things that would um, might be embarrassing, and couples don't really know. I don't want them to know the story. So they don't realize what I'm doing when I'm asking all these questions. They think I'm going to get just this little overview. They have no idea that the beginning of the ceremony is, one, making the collective cohesive, and two, starting to tell their story. And they're amazed at the detail, like the fact that when he asked for her number, he still has that piece of paper in his wallet. That's how much it means to him. But they don't know I wrote that down. And he just said off the cuff, still have it. You know, that's... It, and I and I try to be very discreet about that. And it's and it, it is a little. Um, I'm not being devious, but what I am doing is, I want I my talent or my forte as the facilitator of their story is to take the important pieces of proof and then write them, and then write them with humor and uh, you know deepness and. You know, everyone, when he gets down on one knee and they're, you know, they're, it's the coldest night of the winter and she's, she's whispering to him, we're going to get mugged, and he gets down on one knee in the bike path, all of a sudden the environment disappears and all the warmth in their hearts is all there is. And that is the warmth that will light the hearth of their home, wherever they go, wherever they live. That will bring them through the door to each other for the rest of their lives. And people stop and go, wow. Yes, it's poetic. Yes, I, I wove it up into a, into a, you know, I pulled the gold threads out and let them shine. I pulled the dark threads in there, too, so that there's something, there's a contrast to the light and dark. It is, stories are tapestries. And in that, they, how colorful are they? Sometimes they're sort of black and white, but they're still beautiful because you can go into gradation and contrast. And then sometimes they're technicolor, and they're incredible, and it's almost too much. <laughs> and, you, and you can't, you have to cut it down. And the, and the trick is never to keep it moving and never to lose your collective energy because even though I'm the one telling their story, it's their story, their love, all these people watch them. They're cohesive. They're moving in the story with us. They're a collective we are moving as a collective together, and I highly respect that, and I think it's an amazing honor and a tremendous liability to have that collective moving all the time together. It has to do, when you tell your story, it has to move so that we all never lose our attention to it. And that's when humor and elders and all of that stuff come in, and it and it and it's delightful. And it's always a reminder to us. Any any time we're there listening to a story, it's always a mirror shining back on us. It's reminding us, love is a choice. My gosh, it's good to be human. I can make this choice. They made this choice. Wow, there's a there's a thousand cracks they could have slipped through here, and they didn't. They chose love. What have I done that I might have, shoo, man, I better not let these cracks go because something good could come out of this. You know, it, it's amazing 
But if we are if we all relate in that mirror and we can look at ourselves beautifully and we don't look at ourselves horribly, it can't get uncomfortable. If it gets uncomfortable, then mm-mm. it can be surprise, it can um it can be it can generate like a uh oh feeling or what's next or you know but then you're you already know the outcome. They all right, so they broke up, they went their separate ways, but they came but you know they came back together because they're standing at the altar. They decided that they needed to grow as individuals, they were too young, whatever it happened to be that drew them away from each other. That's not embarrassing. And it it ends up being a compliment to the the story because in the end, we're there witnessing the manifestation of family, which is the highest place we go in our human walk. We don't get to choose when we're born that we know of, or it, although that's another issue, or when we die usually, and but we do choose love in that moment of getting married. I promised my listeners that we'd talk about your hospice work as well, and we are rapidly burning through our hour. Oh, I, <laughs> <And> sorry. <laughs> we're having a great time talking about this stuff. Um, but I wanted to go back, go to hospice a little bit and talk about uh, how you use storytelling in your hospice work. Oh, absolutely. Um, the 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 I, I think the biggest thing for authentic story is that you put your backpack down. I call it my backpack, and I I leave my personal attachments to my things, my takes on things. And I and I try very hard. I say a prayer before I go through the door, and I say, you know, gentle Creator, please let me leave my agendas here at the door as I go in to attend with a compassionate heart. And when I do, I am always asking the stories from those folks. Either um, with hospice, I've been requested if the person is still conscious and, and there's communication, which usually is the case. Um, I can go through lots of things, and because I'm an objective person, I am privy to amazing pieces, exquisite pieces of human life where they will tell the story to me and not to anyone else. And somehow, as a chaplain, um, they they see or perceive me as a, a bridge to the next step on their journey. I attend that bedside um as though I have the privilege to launch an incredibly beautiful spiritual ship. And in that, um, I I am there to... I did not build this ship, but I have the privilege of helping the ship launch in a beautiful way, in celebration. The individual I'm attending, for the most part, usually has... They, they, they've grasped that this is the end of their life. Sometimes they don't, and that's that's quite an issue... But their storytelling will help me. Um, but the family around them are, is always the hardest work because there's family dynamics, and we all have you know strong boundaries and paradigms and families that are um, very difficult to work with. And me, as an objective observer, um, I need their stories to help me understand how do we help this family as a collective um, see love. As, as the ship gets departs and goes on to their next journey, and uh, they, that's incredible. That's incredible. How do you get someone to lay down their, um, for the moment, lay down their uh, lifetime of anger with this person, 
or uh, you know their guilt for not not attending, or their um, incredible love and connection and almost enmeshment with this person. How do they let go and celebrate and lift up? It's it, I need those stories to help me um, transcend and transform uh, that energy and and help celebrate. So being someone who listens really well in terms of, of, let, of laying your own story aside and being willing to receive, it, that's sort of a first step of what you're talking about. Indeed. Indeed, yeah. It's, um, I would love to tell my story. I mean, I would love to make it all about me, but it, it isn't about me at all. <laughs> and, and it's my job to make it not about me, but about them. And yet I I do feel like I've been blessed with this. I, I found my niche. I, I know where I'm good. And I know how to ask questions. I know how to ask. the, 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 the I know what questions to ask. And, and to um, help make people feel comfortable. And that there's, uh, you know, there's not a judgmental ear here listening. To, I don't care what you say. Just tell me. You know, just tell me. It's okay. It's fine. Just tell me what it is so that I can help. And then to, and, and then to there's, a, there's a lot at play in it, but love is always the base. And uh, when it comes to a passing, when it comes to someone leaving, I see it as a joyous, beautiful, more, like I said in the beginning, a more exquisite event than actually coming in with a birth. The be- going back to an energetic self is more exquisite. It's a higher vibration. It's an amazing thing to leave the old jalopy of the body behind and go back into the divine spark plug of what drove it all. It's an amazing thing. And, the- and one of the most beautiful things to help with that is take the, take the visual image of a hand and take that hand if you are um, the brother uh, and and your brother is dying and you take your hand and your your hand is down, palm down on your brother going, ah, ah, I say, take that hand and go underneath him and lift it up. Hold your hand and raise it. Always raise it. Don't cling. Open those fingers up. Turn that hand over and raise him. Raise him up. Hold him up. That is always the message from our highest teachers. Hold it up. Raise it up. It's wonderful. And it's always in the story. I could talk to you for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Is is, is it going to go, time's up? (laughs) No, we're just... um, Well, I feel like, I think part of the, the... Part of the point of view that you bring, part of the reason I wanted you to come on, besides the fact I just enjoy speaking with you, is that I think you bring this idea of being able to fill a role and leave your stuff behind. Yes. In all the stuff you're talking about. Yes. What you're really talking about is being able to put aside your own baggage and to be entirely present on that stage for the purpose you you serve. Where that stage is one bed or 
you know, a church full of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's still, you know, if you're there, you're in the way. You know what I mean? Yes. Too much. Absolutely. And Brother Wolf, what are our stories? What are our stories? Our stories are a, our living truth. It's not the same truth for everybody, but it's our living truth. Our story, our story is our living truth. That is our that is our whole mission of life is to experience life. Experience is our story. Our story is our living truth. And, and here I'm going to get my soapbox. My listeners know that I do this every once in a while. And this is the gift of the National Storytelling Movement, that we as storytellers have the skills and the ability to tell other people's stories with a deafness and a lightness and uh, and, and an ability that, that will hold attention. And if we choose, and this is a heart that's kind of hard for us, and I say this with the most humility possible, if we choose to be humble as we do that, mm. we can serve a far greater purpose than ourselves. We can be more than just someone who's seeking an audience. We can be more than someone who's seeking to be one of those many tellers who's on the national stage, who's famous, or earning a living just telling stories. We can seek to serve a purpose like love or compassion or humility in our stories. My chaplaincy is no more of a ministry than your storytelling. (laughs) Well, I cannot, as I said before on this show, I cannot tell a story without a purpose. I just can't. And if I find myself in a situation where I'm performing, I have to go around the audience for a while and talk to people to figure out what they came for. Because <laughs> I just can't start. Right. You know, I just, I don't know. It's nice that you all came, but why are you here? <laughs> that collective consciousness is is exquisite. And, and that it is a privilege to be there. And, and there, is a thir- there is a third presence in the room. I mean, there's me, there's the audience, and there's something else that's between us that's more than both of us put together. Absolutely. You know, and and whether it's two people... Or, I mean, the quote, uh, so... When, it, when two or more are gathered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I feel it. I, you know, I feel that, that, that we as human beings have this potential to be far more. And and it saddens me to know, great and this is my own weakness that I focus on this negative, but it saddens me that so much of the time we are not there. Right. That we... So much of the time are distracted by the TV or the greed or whatever it is that's distracting us, um, the alcohol, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And and how do we, as storytellers, how do we serve that higher purpose despite these physical distractions? And some people, people different, and, and will try uh, to to approach this. I mean, some people choose to perform for free. You know, they travel and. Uh, they t- they tell for free. They tell a lot of performances for free, and they, as a rule, people who do that don't usually become very well known because they have a lot of work regionally, <laughs> and you know they don't get out of the region, and they're pretty busy. And then other people who charge a, a modest fee and they travel a fair bit, um, but and and I've seen people who are really good and very famous, and I've seen people who are amazing and unknown. You know, so there doesn't seem to be a pattern. I mean, mm. some of it's luck, some of it's uh, blessings of just what happens in life, um, but also a lot of it is just 
those who have the passion, those who keep working at it year after year and get better and better and better and just continue trying year after year. And the really great ones, when I see them perform, it feels to me like they are putting themselves aside. And I just had, last week I had Ethnotech on, and they were talking about. I said, okay, look, guys, they were talking. They're trying to sell their summer uh, workshop, which is a wonderful thing, and I think everybody should go. But they were trying to talking about it and talking about. It. I said, okay, that's great, guys. But I got listeners in South America and Asia, and they're not going to come here to South to, to to California to do your workshop. So just give us a hint. What's the best way to be the best storyteller you can? And they said something that you said over and over again. And they said. Be entirely there. Don't bring any of your problems. Don't bring any of your thoughts. Don't bring. Just be on that stage, yes. and be there for that story, for that moment. Yes. And and then I talked about purpose, and they're like, yeah, and for that purpose of whatever that story is serving, be there entirely. Yeah. I got on my soapbox. I'm sorry. I'll get off. Ah, it's great. No, it's <laughs> true. It's true. You have to attend. You have to attend. It, and it's not—it's not just a skill. It's—it is a—it's a consciousness. It has to be a consciousness. I go to these wedding farms and I see these jerks go up in their their robes and they—they they, you know, and in three minutes pop off and even say the wrong name, and you know really have to look at their notes to read the name and see who they are. You know, I when I you. Know, I know Lisa and Andrew. I know their story. I can't wait to meet Meme and Pepe. I can't wait to meet these parents. I can't wait to look in their eyes. And I can't wait to surprise everybody and bowl them over with how darn beautiful they really are. It's awesome. And even and a funeral is the same way. A funeral is the same way. What did this person do in their lives that chose love? What was their character? What is their essence? When I say a prayer in a wedding and I'm remembering um, someone who's crossed, I can't say, you know, we we remember um, Grandma Ross, you know, uh, lovingly remembered as Grandma Ross. It's a Grandma Ross who blessed her grandchildren with a wonderful sense of humor when she took her artificial leg off complaining that it itched and held it up and scratched the foot and then put it back on again and all the kids giggled. You know, it's just wonderful. It's the, you know, that living truth is wonderful. And it brings the essence. It brings the essence of that being who's crossed in there. Well, we have spent just all the time we have. <laughs> have we really? So, oh, so um, we need to, uh, do you have an offer you want to talk about with the audience? Well, uh, you know, I'm always willing to, anyone who's looking for, uh, inspiration can always email me, or uh, you know that I, email is really the best way to do it. Um, and uh, you know, I, I'd love to connect. And there's other ways to connect from the email on if they want. But if someone is getting married, or they have, um, you know, they're, they're integrating families, and they have children, and they want to know something about it, or they get to serve in a wedding with something, um, what can they do to? Uh, make a ceremony, a ceremony or even their tor- storytelling um, take threads of ask and help inspire them to uh, craft their, their work out of a living truth. I can do that. I can, I can help people do that. So let's, if you, instead of writing your email down, because it's 
it's much more dangerous in terms of spam stuff. But if you just say it right now, it's a much better way. Actually, yes. a much more secure way. Yes, do. it's it's V as in Victor, A as in Apple, Burdick, B as in B, U as in Under, R as in Robin, D as in Dog, I as in Ice Cream, C as in Ice Cream, <laughs> K as in Cuckoo Bird, at AOL, Burdick at AOL.com. That's great. And um, also people who are ministers or other people in the profession of working with weddings who are interested in storytelling, and they're also welcome as well. I yes, and especially. And my, my mission is to help uh, officiants create more beautiful ceremony, more conscious ceremony, and help individuals demand more because we can change we can change the paradigm of what's happening and make it much more real and much more beautiful and all of us will will benefit greatly it takes time it takes energy it's not the it's much easier to write the name in on a blank but it sure as heck isn't as much fun and it doesn't have the effect that is sweet so do you have any last words of advice for the National Storytelling Movement? Ooh. Storytellers all around the world who are listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay do do stay in the moment. And if you can know yourself well. Know what did you who is the authentic, beautiful, unique being that you are. Know yourself very well. And then in that, devote yourself to who that is and your storytelling will be exquisite you have been listening to The Art of Storytelling with Children and I am Brother Wolf and my guest has been Victoria Burdick and I am so glad that you chose to share this time because you know on the World Wide Web you're just a button or a click away from something else and I just want to say to anyone who has taken the time to listen to this entire show. Thank you so much for sharing my favorite night of the week. And you are welcome on any Tuesday night to call in to this conference call and share this hour with me, with the guest. You look on the podcast on the um, on the website at www.storytellingwithchildren.com or www.ericwolf.org. You look on either of those sites, and you will see a link that says Future Guests, and it will give you a list of future guests. And on the right there in the center, a little bit down, is a little space for you to sign up with an email and your name. And if you sign up three days in advance, I will send you uh, weekly email alerts of what's going on and who the guests are. So thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you'll tune in to a future call, or you can just keep on listening on the computer at your own time and place. It's all good. Uh, thank you, Victoria. Joy and blessings, my friends, and lots of love. This guest has written a post for the blog at www.storytellingwithchildren.com. You can make a comment or ask a question in the blog comment box about this discussion. If you wish to join a future discussion live on the call, go to www.storytellingwithchildren.com and sign up to the email alerts to receive future notices of shows. This show was conceived, hosted, and produced by me, Eric Wolf. And to support the show, you may learn more about my storytelling work by going to www.ericwolf.org. 
The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This podcast is the responsibility of Brother Wolf Storytelling and is distributed under a Creative Commons non-derivative license. That means you can copy it and give it away, but you can't edit it or sell it. Thank you so much for listening. As my granddad told a tale.